All right, guys, welcome back to the Mastery Podcast for episode number eight today, slowly approaching episode number 10. Uh, today, I'm joined by a very special guest. I know I say that a lot, but all of my guests are special, but this is a very exciting guest. Um, always wanted to have a really deep conversation with this gentleman here. Um, before I go any further into the podcast, I want you to hit that like, follow, or subscribe button so I can keep bringing you content and bringing martial arts in the world right to where you are in the world. So today, uh, my guest, my next guest here with me live uh, is the after school program director and master instructor at Asheville Sun Tzu in Asheville, North Carolina, run by Grandmaster Tony Morris. Uh, he's also the senior instructor with the American Judo and Jiu-Jitsu Federation, uh, the chief instructor with the Shurute Bujutsu Kai, uh, Kaiden Cho, uh, with the title of Kiyoshi uh, from the Kodankan Ryu Jiu-Jitsu Association, uh, a graduate of module two from the Danzan Ryu Seifuku Jitsu Institute, including a bodywork certification, um, began studying uh, martial arts in 1984, uh, studied under Professor William G. Randall, uh, majored in physics at the University of Hawaii in Hilo. So that's definitely going to make for a great convo today. Um, and he is a sixth don in uh, Danzan Ryu Jiu Jitsu. So I'd like to introduce uh, Professor Tabidi Sabahibe. Sir, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. It's good to be here. Yes, man. At such a uh, at such a list, do you think about how long that list of uh, accolades is? Like as you go through time, or is it just like a surprise to hear all that stuff? <laughs> uh, there, there are times you turn around, you're like, "Wait, what?" Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> when someone's reading it uh, to you, mostly it's, it's just little... you do what you do, what you got to do, um, <laughs> you know. And then, when then you, you if if. Uh, if you're lucky, then you know people will appreciate what it, what you have done. It doesn't change doing the work. You do the work because you do the work, right. and yeah, you know, if you do it well, then some recognitions may follow. Absolutely, absolutely, hundred so, percent. I've been uh, I've been lucky enough to have had opportunities to train with some really amazing people, and they have, uh, you know, in various ways recognized that effort. Um, but you know, that's the the recognition. It, it, isn't why you do it. It's just a reminder that what you're doing is valuable to someone. Right. Absolutely. Spoken well, spoken well, spoken well. I have a quote from you, sir. I'd like to read it from you. I'd like to read it back to you because I thought it was, I thought it was really dope. I thought it was really dope when I read it. Um, and this is, uh, this is from you. It says you have a concrete um, and tangible way to change an aspect of how you exist in the world by changing how your body moves you by necessity change how your mind interacts with your body. By controlling your body, you gain access to a method which shapes your emotions and thought processes. There are no superior martial arts, only superior martial artists. Such a fire quote. I love that. <laughs> so can you take us down like though? I guess I wanted to start with that. Well, you know. This is really, really amazing to hear. Um, Just, you know, once you've been in the arts for a while, you always get the question, well, which art is better? Right. You know, you, you've, you've heard uh, varying levels of, of that, that question, right? Yes, I um, And so the thing I always, uh, I try to equate it to for people is like, um, the human diet is at its core, simple. You need some carbs. You need some protein. You need some fiber. You need some fat. Right. That's, that's it. Like, those are the essentials of the diet. Right, we can argue about proportions of those things, and you know, there are various there are merits to having those things in varying proportions and quantities. But that's what it is. Period. Carbs, protein, fat. That's it. Fiber. Period. Any discussion other than that is one of flavor, right. not substance. Right. Right. And so whether you get your carbs from potatoes or rice or pasta or roots irrelevant right except for where it concerns flavor right. or what is appropriate to the location geographical location you happen to be in right um so with right. martial arts there are six things that you get to do with your body really you get to punch kick and block you get to roll throw and join lock that's it 
Um, that's, that, that's the list. You know, there's, there's really not much else. And, and most martial arts systems have all six of those elements in place to varying proportion, emphasis, and degree. Right. But they're there. Whether the person who practices that art chooses to engage with those things or not is entirely up to them. It's not a failing of the art. That's a failing of the practitioner. Um, I had a, a friend, uh, a, so I have some very good friends who are uh, do a, have like a, a martial arts list sort of, you know, kind of a continuing email conversation on a lot of threads. And there was a guy on there, his, the tagline for his signature line for all of his emails said, Aikido works, your Aikido doesn't. Don't confuse them. <laughs> Which I always found to be, Right, like, <laughs> um, which, which it struck a chord with me because you can insert any art in that, in that spot, right? Because right. they all work. <laughs> they all work. Just because yours doesn't work doesn't mean the art doesn't work, right? right. Do not confuse your inability to make it work with a failing in the art. That's right. a failing of the practitioner. Because right. I have seen amazing practitioners of all arts do amazing things. Right. Now, I couldn't do half of them. <laughs> but... <laughs> For sure. But just because I can't do it doesn't mean it doesn't work. Right, right. Absolutely. Right? I just haven't done the work to make it work. Correct, correct, correct. It's just that persistence, right? And then investing that time into, into what you do. So, yeah, I, I like to make sure I... Yeah, but I, also, I like to make sure that I, I start any discussion about the arts with that understanding. This isn't about, um, you know, getting someone to do what I do. And I, I teach a lot of seminars for people in a, who practice a variety of styles, right? And so um, I'm never about getting someone to do my art. This is about helping you to do your art, but better. Correct. Right? And so correct. we look for the things that we look for the things that make us the same and then from there we get to understand the ways that we look at things differently absolutely. right absolutely so so you, there's a in that conversation there's this idea of um we have depth perception the reason we're able to perceive things in three dimensions is that our eyes see from two different vantage points Right. And so the, that, that because of that, if you only, if you, all you have is a single point of view, then everything becomes flat and has no depth. So you can look at, when we look at techniques or, or movements um, from a single vantage point, it can tend to become flat and you get, you know, people being very, very tunnel vision about, you know, what is and is not the right, right way of doing things. Like there are some, there are some things that are correct for the human anatomy, right? And like, that's a full stop. Like the knee bends forward and back, it does not bend sideways, for example. <laughs> right, so if you are trying to do a movement that requires your knee to do, to generate power sideways, you have a problem. Yeah, you're limited, right? right? There is a problem. <laughs> you know, on the other hand, yeah, but that's that's a that's a human anatomy. That's a function of human anatomy. So most of the styles that any of us practice are rooted in functional human anatomy. And they have to be. Right. So 100%. 100%. Question uh, for you, sir. Can For most of our listeners, uh, yeah. You're not as familiar with um, Danzan Ryu Jiu-Jitsu, which you spent much of your life studying. Um, so could you break down exactly what uh, Danzan Ryu Jiu-Jitsu covers uh, within the realm of, I guess, those six things we were talking about with human, with respect to the human body? Because it seems like sure. you pretty much, I've seen you in action before, totally, I got, I got a ton of questions for you, but I want to start there with a baseline of what Ryu, Danzan Ryu Jiu-Jitsu covers um, and sort of launch off from there. Okay, so if you figure if 
with an idea that um, the martial arts and human movement is kind of a mountain. And depending on the style you study, you're starting a trek to the pinnacle of that mountain. Um, depending on each style has a path that takes them up the mountain. And depending on where you start in your mountain, you'll there's certain things that you get to view from one side of a mountain that you don't really get to see from another side. Right? Uh-huh. And so out of those kind of core six things, most styles will focus on two to four of those six as their core, like starting point, like the place they start that track. And then as you progress through the ranks, as you become more advanced, you will add flavorings of the others to supplement and round out that education. Um, So Danzanru starts with uh, rolling, throwing, and joint locking as our primary engagement. And then to that, adding the striking and kicking and blocking as that, as, as your ability to throw and joint lock improves the idea that I don't want to hit for the sake of hitting, mm. right? I want, I want my, if I want to have all of those things seamlessly engaged, then I need to make sure that when I hit, I'm hitting to get a result or response right. Right. out of the other person's body, right. right? And so if I if I want to be able to lock them or throw them, then I need to hit them or kick them in ways that compromise their body gotcha. such that the throw or lock become easier. Gotcha. Um, so mm-hmm. so that, that training process then starts with locking and throwing and then adding the strikes to it so that the strikes feed the locks and throws that we've been spending time on doing. Gotcha. Okay. It's pretty solid. And well, we throw a lot, so we fall. Yes. Yes. Well, a lot. Yeah. We spend a lot of time taking falls, which um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a thing I've spent a lot of time working on. My fall changed over the course of years um, because I, when I was younger and uh, more resilient, and not not as uh, not as wise. Um, <laughs> I, I had some time training with some people where we traded throws, and he threw me, and it was just bam, and I threw him, and there was this plop 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 sound. Right, it's like, yeah, ouch. <laughs> huh, that's weird. And right. he threw me, and bam, and I threw him. Plop, plop, plop. Right. I threw him fast, and plop plop plop. Is there a technique to falling the way uh, the way I've seen you do it? Um, and again, again, I guess this takes us to the next the next aspect of things. There's there's this rumor. I think Master Grandmaster Morris had said this to me at one point uh, about his first meeting with you, and, and you had I guess you had come to the school and you know he was trying to figure out you know kind of your legitimacy. I guess as anyone would do if you kind of just walk up with your bag to someone else's school like, hey, I want to be here. And uh, it was like, kind of like, what can you do, sort of? Right. And, uh, and you would pr- proceeded to do, uh, I guess, a flip. Um, and then you landed on uh, in the driveway, like just completely like a feather um, and then got back up. So I guess that was like your intro. But describe that to me. <laughs> Tell us if that's accurate or not, please. That's an awesome story. Um, so I won't say like a feather, but <laughs> I've spent a lot of time learning how to disperse energy as it gets received by the body. Right. Um, right. And that process is, so I, there are a lot of different ways to fall and re- to take throws, like lots. So it's actually one of the few places that um, when I, after I've taught my students, when I send them out, I'm like, you know, you do a thing, if you go to another school, do whatever they show you but don't let them change your fall. Gotcha. Um, Because the falling method that I use now is the one that has the most longevity. And I've watched people who throw for 20, 30, 40, 50 years in our style. Right. It's a long time. And the ones who fall softly are still throwing when they're 60, when they're 70. The ones who fall hard do not. They stop throwing when they're 50. Right. Right. They don't have the longevity in their body which is imperative 
because our practice is supposed to make you stronger, it's supposed right. to build you up, not make you weaker. Right. So falls right. don't have to hurt. If falls are done correctly, they do not hurt. Right. But that's about understanding how the human structure works and setting it up to receive energy in a way that disperses, not like it doesn't, it doesn't all go into you in a way that is damaging. It is dispersed throughout your body. Um, actually, I'm out on my front porch now, so. <laughs> Very cool. Do a little session here. Very cool. I would get a demo. Nice. 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 Uh, nice. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Uh, Beautiful. Concrete is, is it's, um, it's a little harder than the mat. Right. So when you <laughs> practice on the mat, you want to practice as if you're going to have to do it on concrete. Right, right. Um, but, you know, like everything else, it's a, it's, it's an incremental process, but like that's my overall goal is to be able to do falls on things that aren't soft and squishy right. and still be okay. Right, right, gotcha. So does, I guess, in, I guess, next so, part. Yeah, no, it's a, gotcha. so, so I guess, would, would size matter in, in any case? If you're, nope. if you're throwing somebody, does size matter? Does well, falling, as you're falling, does size matter? If you're a heavier guy? So if there was, So when I, I was playing around with a friend of mine some years back, uh, we were, both of us were relatively new black belts in our style, respective styles. He was doing, he had been doing uh, um, Chinese Kempo at the time. And, you know, I was doing Don Zenru. And we were just, you know, doing the, that play around thing that guys do when it's, yeah. you know, <laughs> when it's been a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he, he at the time was he weighed in at about three twenty. Wow. Um, and so he manhandled like he picked me up and he threw me. And so we have a we have a technique in our style that's a countering throw. So while being thrown, you attach to them and throw them too. Uh -huh. So he threw me, and in the process, I threw him. By the time he landed, I had him in an armbar. Um, and then our there's a part of that technique that involves having your foot on your opponent's hip. And I found out why that's important. Uh, Cause even though he was 320, he could drop into the splits like at the drop of a hat. And so all of a sudden I'm holding his arm. We're both laying on the ground. I'm holding his arm and his leg just like comes up into the space between us. Like his head is, is less than arm distance away from me. Right. And his leg went into the space between us and peeled me off. He's, <laughs> we talked about it later. Now he was, so he was in a t-shirt at the time. And so was I, but he outweighed me more than two to one and throwing him in that moment was easy. Wow. Um, he's, we talked about it afterwards. He's like, well, I was just going to stand up and pick you up, which he could do. Uh, he goes, but it was a really good arm bar. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I guess the print. What are like the principles of of Don's But then, like that's why. I guess, What's that? I said. So, what are the principles? I guess then, if like, I guess when you're talking about size, because martial arts seem to like really the softness. The, the key thing is 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 you know being able to outperform someone bigger than you in a sense, right? The smaller guy can right. be the bigger person. So I guess what would the core principles be that that that's really. A, Core, so a core concept for every, right? So a core core principle for a core martial arts principle. Period. Right. Stop, martial, all martial arts, right? Is that a smaller skilled practitioner can overcome a larger, stronger opponent, right? Correct. Um, so in, for jujitsu, our primary principle that is rooted in softness and being able to yield and go with. Um, to as our, our founder, he, he said, um, since the fundamental principle acquired through the practice of jujitsu 
can be elevated to a higher moral principle known as judo or the way offness. Right. It can be said that the primary practice, the primary purpose for the practice of jujitsu is the completion of one's character. But the idea of if I go with your energy, we don't have an argument. Correct. Right. We, I, we can't argue if I agree with you. Right. Right. You know, the, hey, man, you're an idiot. You're right. Right. And then that's no, no argument. That's it. Right. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> it. That's it. Um, but also. So that that shows up in technique where um, the primate brain, the limbic system engages and want, when pushed, we want to push back. When right. pulled, you want to pull back. Right. Right. Like that's that's ingrained, hardwired. Like it doesn't even reach the higher brain functions. Right. So the response that's the that is the reaction right that is hardwired into the primate brain the response that we want to train to replace that reaction the response then is that when pulled you enter and when pushed you turn gotcha gotcha so that at, you know, because if you go to push me and I turn and I look where you're pushing, now we're both facing the same direction. Correct, correct. Right, and it doesn't matter if you're stronger. Right. If you're stronger than me is irrelevant. Right. You being stronger than me, actually, because I'm going to agree with you. Right. So since you're stronger, great, then we're going to go that way. If that's <laughs> where you really want to go, then that's where we are going to go. Right. Right. And um, I don't know if you've ever been river rafting. I have. Yeah. Very fun. Yeah. So, but, but the fun in river rafting exists only when you go with Correct. the river. Correct. Right. Correct. The river is always stronger. Correct. <laughs> fighting, the, fighting the river goes. You can exhaust yourself. Right. Absolutely. But when you go with the river, you get to steer. Gotcha. Right. You only get to steer if you yield and with it. If you fight it, you get crushed. Right. So that that's that's the core principle of jujitsu. Gotcha. Do is and how do I find a way to go with what's being given? And if I because if I can go with you. Everything that you're trying to do to me helps me do what I want right. to do. Awesome. Um, how, let's go like way back to when you started, because this is it's it's, it's 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 a long time of all this all this information compounded over time gives us like this you know sort of you know it's still it's still like we're still formulating conclusions. I try to tell people that. Like when they ask me a question, I'm like, yeah, but that's my answer today. Ask me in five years from now, I'll have new information on this because I've sat on it for a little longer, you know? Um, yep. We're still studying, you know, actively, but take us all the way back to like when you first got your start in martial arts, what was like, what was your influence? Where were you at the time in the world? Um, you know, what, what kept you going? And why Danzan Ryu Jiu Jitsu of all, the, of all the other styles, I guess that were out there to pick from? Um, so I was 11. Yeah, no, I was 11. Um, and on my 11th birthday, this kid in the neighborhood. Uh, so when I was a kid, I was the short, skinny, smart kid with the funny name. Um, so I had, I had all the things. Um, there was this kid in my neighborhood who he had an issue with me using big words. And I can't, for the, at this point, I really can't remember whether I said tennis shoes and he wanted me to say sneakers or I said sneakers and he wanted me to say tennis shoes, but those were the words in question. Gotcha. Um, and whichever one I said pissed him off so much that he uh, he did a flying tackle and I hit my head on the shelf where the bread, where the, uh, you know, the bread loaves, like supermarket shelves, little yeah. rounded metal edge, right? Yeah. Had to get some stitches in the back of my head. <clears throat> And so after that, um, you know, my mom and I decided to do some martial arts lessons. 
Okay. Um, our YMCA, the YMCA I was going to over where my school was because I was bussed out uh, to the nicer side of town. Um, the YMCA offered, they called it judo and jujitsu. Um, you know, that was the kids. Gotcha. And that's all I knew for, for years. Coming back to it years later, uh, realized it was Don Zanru. Um, the instructor who ran that class was one of Professor Randall's black belt students. Yeah. Ah. And he, he was in charge of the kids' class. Uh, prof runs the, runs the adult class. But it was, it was at my YMCA. And so I did it from 11 until I was 14, almost 15. And then I took a break because there were skateboards and video games and girls. And then I uh, started back when I was about 20. Wow. And then uh, I've been going nonstop since. Wow. And what, I guess even more importantly, what brought you, what brought you back? So, yeah, that was, uh, there were parts of it I missed. There were several people involved in the community who were also um, YMCA camp people. So I'd grown up at the YMCA doing a lot of programming in Los Angeles um, and I'll, in several of the programs that I did growing up, the main ones were YMCA camp. Um, and so a lot of the YMCA camp people were all also jujitsu people. Um, and so there were several of them that I knew kind of just on a you know social basis because we hung out and we did stuff. Right. And my friend, uh, uh, Joe Ksenia, he we used to do role-playing games at game night at his house on Fridays. Um, and he was, he was in class at that point and he kept, I, I would occasionally, you know, swing by class and say hi to Joe and a few others that I knew from camp. And, uh, Randy would always ask, Randy Katz, now professor Randy Katz would always ask like, when are you coming back? Well, yeah, someday, eventually. And then Joe started asking, so when are you coming back? Oh, eventually. And one night, uh, he kind of pinned me down. He was like. Yeah, you know, I'm like, oh, I don't even have a gi anymore. And he goes, really? And so he walks into his closet. He comes back out and hands me his old gi. <laughs> He's like, I'll see you Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. The gi fairy found me. And uh, I was back in class. I was back on the mats that Tuesday night. And uh, knew I would, at that point, you know, there's that, that feeling like, all right, I'm back. And, you know, this is home. Gotcha. That's wonderful, man. That's wonderful. So, so you've had so a long, long been nonstop since. Yeah. <clears throat> um, what is the difference, I guess, now, if you would have put, which is like an age old added, right? putting pitting style against style, right? So if you get someone that's all, uh, get someone that's a proficient striker with someone that does your style at the same level, exact same level, what would the outcome be? Or do, are there too many variables there to calculate? So here, the way it'll basically work out is that you've got until I'm elbow distance away from you to knock me out. Right. So if, if I'm close enough that I can touch you with my elbows, I'm about to throw you. Gotcha. Gotcha. And unless, you, unless you've got a lot of practice in throwing, I am about to throw <laughs> you right just like you know if if at about that four foot range you're about to kick me in the head right right, right. <laughs> like, right. is it like you are about to kick me in the head right i'm thinking right. i'm thinking he's i don't know if he can he's not quite close enough to hit me and you're already like i'm my foot's in your face right, right? <laughs> so i've seen you do it right. <laughs> i'm like right. no he's way over there Right. He's way. I don't have to. Whoa, whoa you know. <laughs> yeah. So in, yeah. in that same in that same way of if I'm within five feet, I'm about to, kick to I'm about to get kicked. Right now, the question is, can I avoid getting kicked long enough to get close enough, gotcha. right to to enter what is then my prime my prime zone? My prime zone is close range. Right. Right where it's. It is hard to get your foot within a two foot Absolutely. space. Absolutely. Right. If our bodies are, are two feet away, it, it is hard. Not impossible. Not, not, not impossible, but it's, it's hard <laughs> to, to get your foot into that space to send me away. 
right? You know, you can stick some knees in there and do some elbows, but you know, at that point, you're not getting the, the good extensions that you want. Right. So, so, so a lot of functionality requires you to be within the close range to basically be able to put your hands on the other person. If you can connect, you know, even if that's even missing, cause I guess people don't, uh, I guess the, I guess the average person wouldn't realize that, you know, there are certain realms that we like to operate in based on what, what it is we do for kickers. It's a certain distance, which is different than hands. And then, you know, boxers have a certain range too. Um, you know, and there's a lot of distance management happening on both ends, right? Because you still have to connect in some way. There's that principles there, but um, for you guys, it's really connecting the hands, being able to, I guess, smother the person, if you will. Is that, is that right to say? So there's, you know, there's, there's a, Yes, very much. So, but there's also, so we work from hand striking range and closer, right? Okay. So, um, is there still that idea of, you know, even when you're doing, even when you're doing your, like some free play and free sparring, you know, you'll, you'll stick that foot out there and then somebody will grab a hold of you. are like, oh no, you can't grab a hold. It's like, well, yes, I can. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm looking to do is grab a hold of it. Right. right? And so, if that's what I said, you've you've got until I get a little bit closer. That's how long you have to knock me out, right. and or make it so that I am not not stable, not rooted, not present. Right. Because um, otherwise, that's that is where my train that training style excels is at that range. Gotcha. I've got to. We've got an extremely diverse tool bag for that range. That's what that's a, that's cool. That's a great way to say it too, sir. I, pre, I like that. Um, now that you've been at, you've been at Sun Tzu, Asheville Sun Tzu since uh, about 2010, from what I read. So, what's the biggest difference, or what are the biggest differences that you notice between Japanese martial arts and Korean martial arts? The uh, you know essentially effectively the differences between Taekwondo, right, um, which is predominantly taught at that school, right, and then um, jiu-jitsu what have you noticed in your time it's more about organization of curriculum than anything else okay um, the the taekwondo is a large predominantly rooted in a solo practice method mm -hmm. right and a, a methodology that can be practiced by a single practitioner right Um, and there's, you can do about 65, 70% of your practice without another body present. Right. Um, our style is the exact opposite. <laughs> I've got about 20, 25% of my practice I can do without a body, right? Okay. Like I have to be able to put my hands on someone. And so then as a result of that, the the size of a class that you can facilitate, the number of practitioners that can safely engage, the speed that those practitioners can engage at mm. changes, right? A safe training speed when, you know, you've got your, when you're about to almost break somebody's arm, the safe training speeds are slow. Right. Right. And the, when the only thing you have to worry about is making sure that your foot pivots the right way while you're kicking you can go faster absolutely right? and so you get to do a different type a different type of practice at a different pace but that's inherent in the ways that those practices show up and the ways that the practitioners have to engage with them right with the with the instructional i guess value that you bring in to your art do you, when you conduct classes, how do you, what's your personal philosophy? Because <clears throat> I think as you learn, as you learn a martial art, there's like a, there's like a, a key voice in your head, I guess, uh, at least at my end, there's like a key voice inside my head from like the very first people that ever taught me. Um, and that kind of stays with you. And then I guess you sort of develop your own personal um, attachments uh, or voices for the stop um, in a sense. So when you teach, it's got to be different, right? Because you know you're not teaching another you. You're teaching you know a room full of people who are vastly different than you are. 
um, and you also teach kids. So how do you how do you teach how do you safely teach throwing and falling effectively um, to children and adults? Uh, methodically. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, there is, there are specific methods. There are, you know, you start, you have to, in order to be able to transmit that information, you have to be able to distill it for yourself into its essentials, right? And so there are some pieces that are essential. There are some pieces that are entirely secondary. Um, some essentials for, and then there are drills that will develop those and cultivate those skills. So I've got a set of drills that I teach, you know, and, and will they are incremental, they're incremental. Each one is an incremental increase in complexity or difficulty beyond the previous. Um, but they are cumulative so that, you know, you can't just jump to like step five, you got to go from step one to step two. And there's a, there's a, a seasoning period of time that, that is required for that as well, right. where even if you can physically perform the skill, uh, there is a time that it takes your body to develop the resilience to receive that energy as well. So it's, it is a method it takes it takes some time and there are steps um but i've at this point i've been doing it long enough that you know every month i've got another story from a some parent or kid who comes back to me saying you know my kid was out doing you know insert activity here fell down and they didn't get hurt because of the time they spent in your class that's awesome that's awesome class that's so and then the biggest thing about you know i don't i don't teach i do not do not do not teach people to throw until after I've taught them to fall. Right. Um, and I've, I've talked to some instructors like, well, you know, you got to give them something that's exciting and flavorful. I'm like, yeah, yes and no. Right. Like we can put a lot of flavor and excitement in other places, right. but it's, it's a thing I do not compromise on right. until they can fall safely. We don't do any throwing at all. Gotcha. And it takes a while and that's okay. Um, my experience has been that I can teach you more jujitsu faster over the long run if I teach you much slower at the beginning and focus on the rolling and falling skills. Right, right. Right, like the amount of time, the amount of time I spend on that in my class is between 40 to 50% of the total class time is spent only on rolls and falls. Wow. And it seems disproportionately large to some people who do really unfall it. But I always point to my students who've been in for about five years. And in every case, my five-year student has learned more curriculum than their student at five years mm. because they can fall. Mm. And because we never have to wait for their fall to be good enough to do the difficult skills. Gotcha. So what, what are the elements of, of, if you were to just break it down for us real quick and give us like a little tidbit, how, would, how do you fall safely? How do you fall? I see it happen all the time. I watched somebody, I watched somebody get ripped yesterday. They fell Shoulder. On a block. Shoulder, okay. <laughs> so it, it's about bone alignment first. Okay. So all, all martial arts practice is about bone alignment, right. always. Right. Right. All, all correct technique is about bone alignment. Right. Um, so in the case of falling in landing, my landing position is I want to have two shoulders on the ground, one calf, no butt. Gotcha. So my shoulders are down. My calf is down. My butt does not touch. As a result of that, my shoulder, my hip and my knee are going to be in a straight line. My, um, right, so I'm going to be on the ground in that position. Gotcha. Where this is, this is my, my door's the ground, right? But the, because, and I'm going to be in that, in that position because 
when my spine and body are straight, my core is engaged and I have structure. Uh huh. Gotcha. See a lot. I see a lot of people fall uh, on this kind of shrimped up sideways curl thing. Yeah. And what that ends up doing is it takes the pelvis and it rotates it all the way vertical so that you're landing on the head of the femur, right? And so the, the thigh, right. they're laying on the side of their thigh. And if you're laying on the side of your thigh, you're taking the ball of the femur and slamming it into the hip socket with every landing. Ouch. Landing the way that I do with the two shoulders, one calf, and then the ball of the other foot on the ground, so the knee is up. The pelvis rests at about a 45 degree angle so that you're on the glute, if you're touching anything, but you should not touch anything. And you don't wanna to touch anything because you want your shoulders on the ground, you want your calf on the ground, and you want your hips, your hips, your pelvis, your lumbar spine, your tailbone. You want all that off of the ground. And if all of that is off the ground, your body makes an arch and an arch, the reason we use them in bridges is because an arch takes energy from the middle where your pelvis is and your kidneys and your floating ribs. You know, the insertion of the diaphragm on the back side is at the floating ribs and kidneys. Takes right. all of that and makes sure it doesn't receive energy at all. And any energy that is received is sent out the ends through the calf, right? Which is bone wrapped in muscle. Right. And across the broad shoulders which you need to make sure that your arms are down, not up. Right. When down, the scapula rotate flat and then reside in several layers of muscle, 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 bone plates, more muscle. Gotcha. And you want two shoulders on the ground for more surface area. Ah. If you only have one shoulder on the ground, yeah. your upper body, has you've got half of your upper body on the ground right but if i can get this shoulder to touch i can increase my upper body surface area by almost 50 percent wow wow makes a big difference and a 50 percent increase in surface area cuts the force received in by two-thirds yeah the next idea is one of timing of, of the fall um i fall in pieces not as one sound I originally teach my students to fall with one sound at the beginning because you've got to learn where you are with respect to the air and the ground. Mm -hmm. But once you know that, then you fall in pieces, you slap first, then your body comes down. So you slap, then your calf, then your toe. So the legs come out in pieces and the slap goes down first so that the amount of time it takes for your body to come to rest is extended. And in physics, there's a concept called impulse. An impulse is force over time. Right. And impulse is also equal to a change in momentum. So you can change momentum with a large force in a short time, or you can change your momentum with a small force over a large time. Right? right? Like you can, your car... I can go from 60 to zero in nothing right. with a really large force. Right. Or you can slow down on your brake and come to a coast over a long. Preferable, right? <laughs> several seconds. Yeah. One of those, one of those experiences is much more pleasant for your body. For sure. Right. And so um, The, so that falling method has several things that are contrary to what I was originally taught about how to fall and the reasons for those for those things, right? I was right. taught to stay on your side more, um, slap, fall all in one piece. And like I said, I had a chance to train with Professor Bob Hudson and some of his students in particular, Eric Atienza. Um, Eric and I are about the same height, so we kind of naturally paired up during classes and that dude, man, I've been chasing his fall for 20 years. Wow. Um, and I, I get to have discussions with people who are like, oh, well, you can't slap on concrete. I'm like, oh, you better slap on concrete. Right. And he's like, that's <laughs> when you need to slap. And they're like, but it, it's going to sting. I'm like, like, yes, it's going to sting. And it still feels better than a broken rib. So take the slap. 
right? And uh, Eric, Eric, uh, <laughs> Eric would practice his falls. Uh, he's in the Navy. He would practice his falls on the deck of the destroyer at sea. So if you think concrete is hard, try armored steel. You know. <laughs> wow. And That's so Eric's the one who's like, oh no no, you have to slap. Now he doesn't slap with a flat hand. He slap with a hammer fist or a knife hand. Um, but the the slapping action is essential for the slowdown process and for the regain of structure as your body settles. Gotcha. Um, there's also this idea that your fall, you're only falling as long as you're in the air, not touching the ground. Um, and as soon as any part of your body is touching the ground, the falling is done, it's now time to settle, right? And until your front foot leaves the ground, your fall hasn't started, you're technically still standing. So when being thrown, you'll see, uh, if you watch, if you see a video of like myself or my students being thrown, you'll see the front foot stays on the ground a really long time. You're almost completely upside down before that foot comes off the ground. Yes. I get to share the momentum that's being put into my body. The momentum that's being put into my body by the throw, I get to share that with the earth like a heat sink. So I only take a part of it because I was in the air for all of it, right? When I'm in the air, then they get to put that energy directly into my body. And I have to take it. Right. If I've got a foot on the ground while being thrown, then I get to share that out. And then I slap quickly so that, again, I start my, I start slowing down as soon as that slap touches the ground, which is why I wanted to touch fast and long before my body gets there. So the slowdown process has already begun before my body comes anywhere near the ground. Um, doing that allows the, your body's center of gravity to no longer reside within your physical structure. Your body's center of gravity will kind of float out in front of of you for a little bit during that process. Um, and you can do some really funny things with momentum when the center of mass for the object doesn't reside within its physical body. Um, this is how Olympic high jumpers jump over the bar, right? Their center of gravity never goes over the bar, but they do that whole backwards flop thing. Their center of gravity goes under the bar the whole time. Right. right, but they will incrementally send a piece right. of their physical body over the bar, even as their center of mass remains under the bar. Right, right. It makes sense. It makes sense. It makes sense. Holy cow! So your understanding of physics, right? Studying it for however many years you did at the university. Of, am I saying it right? Hilo? Was it? Or was it a different way? Sorry, you broke up there for a second. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Is it the University of Hilo or Hilo? Am I saying it wrong? Hilo. Hilo. University of Hawaii. In Hilo, which is really cool that you got to study. Hilo, Hilo Hawaii Hilo. is the second largest city in the state. Okay. Yeah, it's the, Hilo is the second largest city in the state, which may, which it's actually a little small town. Um, I moved there from LA, so it was like a little small town stuck in the 80s, which was awesome. <laughs> um, it rains. It rains. Oh, my God. So much. Yeah. <laughs> much rain. Yeah. The first year I moved there. It, we got 180 inches of rainfall that year, and that was a drought. Wow, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of rain. What did you What do you bring from the physics world? Yeah, right. it, it, it rained so hard that <clears throat> did the did the physics world that that you were involved in there did that help sort of accelerate your understanding of your of your style and what you're what you're doing? Did it help you like sort of you know? not like almost sure. add on to what the teacher was teaching you, so to speak? Well, my, um, yes, there was a point, you know, in my senior year, I hadn't really even done a kind of even a, a methodology understanding of like, why does this thing work? But one of my students was there and he comes to me one day and we sit down with like the dry erase board. He's like, all right, so why does it work? Cause I know it does work, right? Like we, we've got the empirical right evidence right like throw me and my body does this thing and it works right. and it works better than the other things that I've been taught but why and so we sat there and we started trying to figure out like well what happens when if your body does this you know in this configuration like where is your center like oh center of mass is over there huh that's interesting right and then you know the realization that like when the slap happens that 
Like your body actually does, it actually rotates around the first point of contact. And in doing that, it shits some of its momentum because some of it is perpendicular to the direction of motion. Um, so like the hand touches and like, oh, look that, you know, this, this angle provides uh, this proportion of the total body's momentum is completely negated in that just because it touched first. Right. Even if it doesn't generate any force and then the shoulder touches and it does this thing again. And so we, we did this whole breakdown um, at least to understand conceptually why this mechanic accomplishes what it accomplishes. Right. Even if I couldn't necessarily put any final numbers on it, like I could understand the, the methodology of why it is that this thing does what it's um, so my, you know, between the physics and then the bodywork training is all about understanding human anatomy. So if, you know, where physics and human anatomy meet is the martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, that's, that's, that's well said. Yeah. Great observation there. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you, uh, kind of set, I guess not sort of connected to martial arts in a way, but um, more about identity as a black martial artist, right? Which is what you are, what I am. What does that mean to you? Especially with kind of everything that's been trans that transpired last year going into this year. I've been thinking personally more about, you know, sort of our responsibilities as martial artists. Um, and I've gotten so many students over the years that have uh, talked to me and especially now as a father, you as well, where it's like, you understand sort of a perspective that a parent's like, hey, you know, I have someone that looks like you and I, I and you're a positive, you know, example representation for, for that person. And now that we respectively have our own children, I feel like there's even more responsibility added um, on top of not just being a martial arts, but of course being a positive black role model. Can you speak to any of that on your end if you identify that way um, and, and what that means to you having your own family now? Um, no, it's, it is, uh, it's an, it, it is a complex space to inhabit. Um, but for me, the, the most important part has always been to be, to do my best to be an excellent person first. And the fact that I happen to be black, um, is carries the a responsibility to offset a lot of the foolishness that I, I, I feel responsibility to, to be a, a counterbalance to some of the, the bullheadedness that I, you see are going on around. Um, you know, in my, my martial arts practice and in the ways that that I engage with teaching um, really is just about being, being an, an example of what you can be without the BS. Um, you know, so I don't, I grew up in, I grew up in um, South Central Los Angeles, um, in, where Inglewood and LA meet on Crenshaw Boulevard, 67th Street. Um, um, right down the street from where we, are, you know, we're kind of the border of, of LA and Inglewood. So in the heart of, uh, in the heart of rolling 60s ter crip territory. Yeah, that's rough. Um, but not too far away from, uh, you know, the, uh, where the bloods were. So we were kind of in a, almost on the border of all of that but even there um my mom was insistent that you know that that life wasn't going to be a part of our life hmm. so you know i just gotta make sure i hold that hold that line no matter what um yeah yeah no it's, and this last year has been weird because there have been some there have definitely been some cases where you know the continuation of injustice has been apparent and prevalent. Um, there have also been some cases that have come out where I look at it and I go, nope, that was him, if you forgive my French, dumbassing himself to death. 
like I saw one, there was a, there's a video of one where the guy, um, like three or four cops shot him, but he, he like, he walked through the cops around his car as they were continually to tell him to stop, right? Because he'd been in an altercation with someone else. Yeah. And when you look at the video, his body language says, oh, I'm going to show you, right? Like, right. that's all the body language says, like, I'm coming to get you. And he goes, walks around his car and opens the door and reaches inside and they shot him. Yeah. You know, and someone was complaining like, oh, another black man shot him. No, no, no. Uh, like in that moment, I'll tell you right now, I would have shot him, right? And I'm not saying that I would have shot him if I were the police who were there. I'm telling you that me, with my 30 plus years of training in a close in joint locking and throwing martial art, I would have shot him. Right. Right. Because right? he had a good 30 seconds to stop. Because <laughs> he was asked multiple times to stop. There was like, you know, the hands and, the, and he pushed his way through them to reach into his car, not to get into his car, to reach into his car. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so the other side of that is that, you know, as a, as a black man and as a martial artist and an instructor, um, we also have to have a, a real conversation about, you know, don't, don't be so busy thumping your chest about what your rights are. Right. That you dumbass yourself to death. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because that's a the, that one. That's real. That's on. That's real, and that's on him. He he had several opportunities to take action on his own behalf to right. come up with a different outcome. Gotcha. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a real. And he chose not to. It's a real conversation. Why do you think there's so few of us? Uh, I guess you know, out there. I mean, I don't, I don't remember many growing up. Um, and I started, I got started later. I got started probably 10 years. There, there are communities. Yeah. We, right. But there, no, there are, there are strong enclaves of communities in various places. So yeah. um, on the East coast, there's the Snoopus crew under uh, Dr. Moses Powell. Um, the, and back where I was in, you know, Southern California, the BKF, the Black Karate Federation. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I knew Grandmaster Robert Temple out there back when I was uh, when I was coming up in in my Donzunru time. Right. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to work out with him several times. So there there are communities, but it's not a it's not a large it's not a large and widespread one for sure. Yeah. Um, but in in much the same way that there are no, there's not a large widespread community of, or I should say there's not a popular widespread community of, of college educated black people either. Mm -hmm. So, and, and a lot of that is, is owing to some of the, the culture and the things that are glorified and emphasized within our culture. So like for me personally, because of where I grew up and you know the stuff I saw growing up, I don't listen to most hip hop right now. Because there is, most of it tends to glorify all of the stuff that was the worst of where we grew up. Right. Um, you know, and like the, the the cultural norms that go with that and the thought processes that go with that are the things that are preventing people from being excellent and wanting to excel in anything other than sports or being a playa. Right. Which, right, like those are, those are the primary paths out that are emphasized or glorified and given any spotlight. Um, most, you know, we don't, we don't put a lot of time, energy, or 
spotlight on the people who got out by using their brains or the people who got out by holding the ethical standard. Right, right. So, so I guess the pressure's, on, the pressure's on us, I guess, to continue to promote, you know, the art is, and I guess that's one of my last, my last question to you is given that that's sort of our history, not all of our history, it's not all relegated to that, but, um, you know, cause there is obviously excellence among in our, within our community. But um, I feel like at least for me, it's, it's a way to, just like you said, I want to touch on that. It's a, just a way to counteract sort of what is sort of the popular thing going around for us is by continuing to walk down sort of this path and doing the martial arts and just improve, like literally improving as much as I can, spending time with myself, improving the mindset, talking to people, doing things like this where I get to speak with you um, and take these opportunities to sort of share, you know, not just martial arts knowledge, but perspective as well, right? The two eyes, two different eyes that see, you know, one eye sees this, one eye sees this. Oh, well, you know, I didn't think about this before. I didn't hear this before. So I feel like that's sort of a constant within the martial arts community that we have is that, you know, there's so many styles, but then even within the same style, you have so many different perspectives. So I guess is the is it is it more of a is it more of a job for you or is it more of a responsibility for you at this point in the stage in the game, so many years in to promote, continue promoting the art um, to as many people as you can? Um, the so the Japanese word. Sensei, yes, uh, does not mean teacher. Right. It means one who goes before. Mm -hmm. So part of the goal for me is just to is to keep going. Right. And you know I've got a trail. Right. Gotcha. And leave a trail behind, um, knowing that it's it is easier to follow in someone's wake than it is to blaze the trail. So if you know, I, I, there are some, there are some trails that I'm following, but they're not exactly the same one that I'm on. So I'm right. kind of, you know, hybrid of following some trails that others have blazed before and then, you know, blazing my own as, along the way too. Right. Um, but really it's a, a commitment to, to find Where, where is where is both my growth, but also what I can do and leave for my children? Um, Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, by extension, anyone else that I happen to be in proximity with, because, um, you know, if we're, if we're crabs in a bucket, we keep pulling each other down, mm -hmm. um, or we can all join hands and like, have you seen that the, uh, I don't even know what it, I think it was like this, some like Chinese army special forces thing, right? and they've got like 20 guys going over a 15 foot wall. Yeah. And yeah. the speed yeah. that they got every, like everybody over the wall was yeah. ridiculous yeah. because everybody, one, knew his job, and two was committed to getting everybody else over that wall super quick, right? And you know, at the end, there's you've got like ten guys just like linking arms and walking up the wall while the rest pull like the counterweight of the other guys are like literally pulling the last guys up the wall, right? And everybody gets to go. Right. So right. you know, if we we can work, be more of that and less crabs in a bucket, then you know, the the saying is a, a rising tide lifts all the ships. Um, you know, either that or the other one is, uh, the other one that always hits for me is uh, steel sharpens steel or iron sharpens iron. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. if you want to stay sharp, you got to be around people who want to be sharp. Right, right. Absolutely. You know, and it doesn't matter so much what they be sharp in because there's a, there's a mindset that goes with being sharp. Absolutely. Right. And that that mindset, one of the biggest things I've learned from Master Morris is about how to find ways to apply. Like if, you, if you're excellent in this one area, it's like, why do you accept not being excellent in other areas? 
right? You know, it, it creates a, a dissonance. There's a, a break in harmony when you're excellent in one place and then meh, other places. So you got to up your game, gotcha. right? I got you. Um, but that's at the end, isn't that supposed to be the point of the practice? Right. Right. Like the we, the practice is supposed to be about not just the physical thing, but what it does, how it shapes you, oh, who man. it shapes you into. Right. And then, you know, because if you've shaped into that person, great, then be that person everywhere. Right. It's very important. Okay. Very important point. It's very important. Very important point there. Absolutely important uh, at that. Sir, this has been a, a wonderful interview. I know you have to go. I know time is short for you. So uh, I want to cut it and make sure that you have time to get back to your responsibilities. But I really appreciate having you on. I wish the conversation, I have more, I have more questions for you. But I was like, maybe I'm going to have you on again in the future, hopefully. Um, and we get to ask those questions. Uh, maybe maybe next time in person at that. But I really want to thank you for your time. And uh, I know Hi, you're So thank you so much. Uh, guys, this has been the podcast number eight with Professor Tabidi Sabahibe. Thank you, sir. Guys, make sure you follow, subscribe, like this video so we can keep bringing more awesome content to you and martial arts to you wherever you are in the world. Thank you, sir. And for everybody take care. out there, take care. Bye. Bye now.